Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good evening, afternoon, or whatever it is. Hello, Josh. How's it going? She was good. That's good. I heard you did something exciting this last week. I had a date. Well, okay. Yeah. So I had an old-timey kind of date, and um, I got surprised with... uh, a drive-in movie. We saw The Goonies. Okay. That's yeah. a good movie. Goonies are great. Yeah. yeah. So it was at Elizabeth and at State Line. Yep. Been I've there. I've never been there before in my entire life. Truffle shuffle. Yeah. It was great. It was just, I don't know. It was kind of neat and nostalgic. There's all these little kids running around and we flipped the car around and sat in the back and um, grabbed some food. It was an adventure uh, just to get the food because we were well, running all over the place in Elizabeth and getting food. I hear a lot of people are doing that now because it's a safer way. Yep. And I heard they're making a big comeback in a lot of areas. They're actually building new drive-in movie theaters. It is a really, really fun experience. And I have to admit they have the best popcorn for sure. No, I ain't had the popcorn yet. It's really good. It reminds me of the old kind. Because, I mean, when I grew up, that's how we went to the movies. I'm a huge, I like, I love movies. So, you know, I just remember going to the movies at the drive-in with those great, remember those great, big, huge, awkward radio things that look like walkie-talkies and you'd, like, sit it inside your window and, like, that was how you listened to the movies. Do you remember that? I'm not that old. I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) You're so rotten. All right, you guys, our guest today works for the Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network and is the Northeast Tennessee Regional Director. She is a well-known face in the world of suicide prevention, and prior to becoming part of the TSPN team, she was an adult outpatient therapist for none other than Frontier Health ourselves. And she worked at Watauga Behavioral Health Services in Johnson City, Tennessee, and also Scott County Behavioral Services in Weber City, Virginia. She also has worked as an adjunct professor at ETSU, teaching undergraduate courses for the Department of Counseling and Human Services. I always thought that was the coolest role to be an adjunct professor. I always wanted to do that, but I guess I'm not smart enough. But I always thought that would be really cool. She is a national certified counselor and holds a Master's of Arts degree in counseling as well as a Bachelor's of Science degree in psychology, both from East Tennessee State University. Go Bucks! It is my pleasure to introduce our guest today. Welcome, Molly Colley, to Impact Stigma. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, good to have you, Molly. So uh, we've created, you know, if you've listened to our last podcast, some pretty fun questions to ask. And it helps us get to know you just a little bit better. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Do this. If you could compare yourself with any animal, which would it be and why? I would say an opossum or for you East Tennessee folks, a good old possum. (laughs) Sorry. I had to clarify. You know (laughs) what I mean. That's precious. Because it's one of those things where you see it and it's kind of weird and you're like, I don't know about this thing. And sometimes feel like people feel that way about me at our first meeting and I don't see that at all but okay you're, gonna, su- you're sweet but trust me possums are a good thing if you do see me as a possum it's, it's I do love them uh, I post too. about them often I me like them. too because yes. I do think that people don't know all the good sides about a possum so possums are amazing caregivers and that's very often the role I find myself in so like mama possums will carry their baby possums on their back and you know just 
take amazing care of them and even put themselves in danger to take care of others. And that, that's kind of the type of heart that I have. But also possums have those two defense mechanisms. The first one is like the really scary, gnarly hiss bite thing, but they, it's, they're all bark and no bite, right? Like, and that's, that's kind of me too. Like sometimes I can come off big and bad, but like, no, not a chance. Um, and then the other one is the playing dead. And I kind of feel like that's my, that's my reaction to a lot of things is I just kind of freeze. So I get possums. Nice. So I, you know, I have a fun fact for a possum. Ooh. They're America's only marsupial. That is very true. Yep. And they also rid the population of ticks and they eat venomous snakes. Yeah. They and are, they don't carry rabies. They don't carry rabies. Yeah, they are Why not rodents. They are very, very needed in our environments. So leave them alone. Yes, they are. Thank you. Stand up for my possums. Yeah, that's my national park side coming out in me. I love that. I love that. I love possums. I really do. They're so, I actually saw a, I don't know what you, I think it was one of those reels on Instagram or sure. something about someone that actually had a pet possum. Yeah, a lot of people do. And yeah. uh, at the Cumberland Gap National Historical Park, uh, they had a baby possum that they raised for a little bit that was kind of abandoned nearby and they... Aww. They took care of it over at the uh, visitor center. Aww. Those are my people. Y'all are my people if you like possums. We're going to do just fine. Okay, we're friends. <laughs> All right. Well, my favorite always question to find out a little bit more about our guests is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? I don't know if you'd call it, like, the best superpower, but, like, I would want to be able to communicate with animals because okay. very much an animal person. And the idea of, like... If I could just explain to my cats, you know, hey, the reason we're going to the vet is to make you feel better. Or, like, if I could understand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yes. it's the worst feeling. Yes. Um, or so you want to be Dr. Doolittle. I basically want to be Dr. Doolittle. I couldn't awful. think of that name. I was sitting over here going, yeah. what was that movie? <laughs> she had back. She knew. I always thought that was a really cool movie, too, because, like, he talked to everybody. and it's it's great like, power. Well, yeah. that's, a, that's a good answer, too. We've not heard that one yet. No, well, I don't know if Marvel would make a movie about me, but, like, it's what I'd want. Okay. That'd be awesome. All right, so I can tell a lot by a person by this next question. Okay. What is your favorite food? Now, not style of food. Okay, food. Just food. What is your favorite thing to eat? My mama's lasagna. I'm not talking stuff out of a box. I'm not talking re- mm-hmm. my mama, not your mama's, my mama's lasagna. That's it. Hands down. Is it now, is it cheesy or is it saucy? S- yes. All of the above? Yes, it is. It is can, cheesy. Can we saucy. like petition for her to make us this lasagna I'll, and I'll, check it out? I'll give Patty a call, see what All we right. can do. Okay. That sounds great. I like super cheesy lasagna. I'm talking five cheeses. Yes. <laughs> lasagna is pretty awesome. And Garfield the cat loves lasagna. I don't know if anyone knows of who that is. Because he's Garfield. kind of, I don't know, I was going to say Garfield for sure. All right, you guys, I do have to do this. It's very important that we make this very clear to all of our listeners. So before we begin this episode of Impact Stigma, we are focusing on National Suicide Awareness Month. And we want all of our listeners out there to know that if you are inspired at all, during this podcast to reach out for help or feel triggered in any way, please don't hesitate to call our 24-7 crisis hotline at 877-928-9062 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 and someone will always be there to help you. We are all about having candid and sometimes humorous conversations while we talk about the stigma surrounding mental and behavioral health issues. So please remember, this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral issues. If you need further assistance, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. All right, Molly, after you reached out to me about your interest in the podcast, I was really excited to hear from you. So 
we did have a chance to talk, and I would love for you, if you wouldn't mind, to please share with our listeners your personal experience with suicide. Sure. Well, I don't think anybody really gets into this field without having some sort of personal experience. And that aside, I really think it's hard to find someone who hasn't had some impact from suicide in one way or another. It started for me when I was pretty young. Um, I had a cousin die by suicide. And I will give my, my parents a definite definite kudos for this, uh, the way they handled it and explaining that to me. I can't remember exactly what they said. I was really young, but I know that whatever it was, I felt like I could talk to them about it. And when I had questions, they answered it, but very age appropriate. Like even to this day, I couldn't tell you like what method or anything. I, I don't know that information. There was no point in sharing that with me, but the conversation about, you know, what happened and what he must have been feeling and you know, that this was a very sad thing and there wasn't a lot of shame involved. So that very early on kind of opened up my viewpoint of suicide. I think a little bit different than a lot of people get exposed to it because there's a lot of stigma around it and a lot of shame. So I had that experience and I don't know if it's my face or just something about me, but I'm one of those people that people tell me things. They always have my whole life. Um, Like I can remember growing up and having friends telling me about things like being abused and things like that. And I didn't realize until kind of recently that that's not necessarily something everybody experiences as a kid is having people give them or give you their secrets. So it's been that way my whole life. And I was maybe 19 or 20 uh, the next time I had something happen involving suicide. And I had a really close friend. He was like a brother to me. Um, He was going through a breakup and he reached out to me one night and I had this feeling in my gut and I don't know how else to explain it. It was, I'm a very somatic processor. I feel things a lot of times before my brain can wrap a thought around them and, and I felt wrong about it. And I ended up meeting him and talking to him in a parking lot. And he never explicitly said that he had planned to kill himself, but I knew that that's what was happening. And, you know, we just talked and I just let him talk. And once it was kind of like he had a tornado going in his head. And once he was able to get some of it out and talk about it, it really seemed to help him kind of relieve some of that pressure. And uh, he seemed okay at the end of the conversation and and he was he never went on to make a suicide attempt he he as far as I know I believe he got some help and I was like okay that was a very scary experience I hope that never happens to me again um yeah, but I'm glad I, right I'm glad I was there for him and then not even a year later another friend of mine same thing reaches out to me this time he did tell me he planned on taking his life and I was again in a parking lot with him late at night somehow all these stories involve parking lots but um (laughs) talking to him and working to get kind of a team of people involved I I was you know this wasn't my first rodeo I kind of understood what might need to happen now and so I had that experience and then couple years later a co-worker and again this person didn't say anything but I had that gut feeling again and it became very clear to me that when I feel this way I'm picking up on something like whether this person is saying something to me or not I can feel their distress I, I feel it you know so was able to work with this person and help him get some professional help as well and by this time I had already I'd been out of school like I'd been working in retail for like I ended up working in retail way over a decade but I'd already gone back to school for my psychology degree and I was like okay this is kind of giving me an idea of maybe what I want to do. I don't know if I just have a knack for this or if it's just something I'm passionate about and ended up going back to school. Sounds like a little bit of both. Maybe. I'll I'll take that compliment. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I definitely have a passion for it. And somehow I've found myself in positions to be able to help people that I feel very fortunate that I've been able to be there for people. 
So I had that experience. And then once I became a professional, I was working as a therapist. Um, I actually had an experience with a family member who made a suicide attempt. And this one, I'm not going to tell their story because it's not my story to tell. But what I can tell you about is my experience on the other end. Uh, My family member did survive their suicide attempt. But as a family member or as someone who loves someone who's made a suicide attempt, you're really impacted by that. And I know for me, when it when it first was occurring and when, you know, I went into focus mode, I'm a problem solver by nature, I'm a fixer. And I found myself in a position where I was like, okay, no nonsense, let's do what we need to do to help. And then, you know, once everything, once the incident was over and everything had kind of calmed down, I wasn't really prepared for how hard that was going to hit me, um, especially being a professional. And that was a really hard thing to deal with. There was a lot of shame and stigma involved in that. You know, I'm a, I was a counselor at that point in time. How, how did I not see this? Can I tell anybody? What if I, like, I needed to take time off of work. There was a little part of me that was like, what do I say to my boss? Is my boss going to understand? Is she going to think I'm bad at my job now? And, you know, I had an amazing boss and of course she never was anything but empathetic, but it's that little voice in the back of your head that, oh, yeah. you know, and it, mm-hmm. oh yeah, definitely it tough. And so even that, like, I don't think I felt comfortable opening up at that exact moment to a a lot of people about what happened because of that fear of that stigma. And also being on that side of it, being someone who's had a family member attempt suicide, something I learned very quickly was there's not a ton of resources out there uh, for someone to get help for yourself to deal with that. That's a very traumatic thing. And there's a lot of resources out there that guide you in ways you can help your loved one, which is really important. And it's good information to have but not a lot of information out there about how to help yourself or what might be quote unquote normal or what could be expected in this situation, what, what you might go through. It just wasn't out there. Um, And that was really disheartening. That was really disheartening. So it was the type of thing where if I hadn't been surrounded by an amazing network of loving people who were there to support me and who were understanding and who would have these conversations about these tough topics, and if I didn't have the amazing opportunities I had to get myself help through this trauma, I don't know, things could have been a lot a lot worse for me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate, but I will say that having lost people in my life, and I've lost, I, I probably didn't talk about this either. I mean, I've lost people I've cared about. I've lost acquaintances to suicide all throughout my life as well. Um, And I don't think my story's that rare. I think that most of us can think of people that we know or people that we've cared about uh, who have struggled with thoughts of suicide or died by suicide. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Definitely. I do have a few people that I know of that have lost, you know, children Mm. and family members and things like that. And it's, it's a very important topic for us to, you know, go over. And I really do I'm always grateful and humbled when people share their stories on our podcast. So thank you for sharing your your story. Thank you all for letting me be vulnerable and talk about this issue that's so important to me. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. Thank you so much, Molly, for sharing your personal experience with us. I just wanted to know, as a person who has lost a loved one to suicide and had someone you care about survive an attempted suicide, what would you like to tell our listeners about the differences between the two experiences? Well, I mean, there's definitely similarities in both. I mean, there does tend to be this kind of stigma, of course, but in both situations, it almost feels like people don't know what to say to you or don't know how to talk to you. And it can be really 
isolating, and and I know that, but there are definite differences as well. When you lose someone to suicide, a lot of times there are these open questions that you don't have answers to, and um, you know you don't necessarily get closure from the individual, and that can be a very hard thing. The closure has to come from from within you when you've lost someone to suicide. When someone makes an attempt, you're not always going to get the answers either, but there are situations where you may be able to get the closure or have those conversations where, you know, you're you're blaming yourself. Survivors, that's what we do. We tend to, to play it over in our head. What did I say? What could I have done differently? And when someone is a, or when someone survived an attempt, um, you know, they can have those conversations with you and say, you didn't do anything it wasn't about. And it can definitely mm-hmm. give you some closure uh, in a different way. Um, Were you able to have that conversation? Yes and no. Um, enough yep. that between that and the, you know, therapy taking care of myself, I'm, I definitely feel like I was able to, I have been able to get to a place where I'm a lot easier on myself about it and a lot more compassionate and have a lot more grace with myself about it, um, which not everyone gets to do. I That's one of my wishes is I hope that anyone who's a survivor of suicide loss or a survivor or of their own attempt or a survivor of an attempt for someone they care about, that you're able to find that compassion and grace with yourself and stop blaming yourself. But there is another big difference, and I think I mentioned it on I don't listen when I talk, please forgive me, but I'm pretty sure I mentioned it a minute ago. Um, so yeah, there is definitely that that difference where there's not a ton of resources out there for people who have had a loved one survive an attempt. The resources that are out there tend to focus on you as a tool to help your loved one, which which is, again, so important, but not a lot on how to help yourself. And I think that, that there's just not a lot of information or resources out there for someone who's had. And I think a lot of times too, even within the suicide survivor community, there can be this difference. You know, you're someone who's struggling and you're having a hard time and someone who's lost someone to suicide. um, You know, I had a situation where someone said, well, you know, I don't know why you're complaining. At least they made it. And like that kind of hit hard. Like I wasn't trying to say my less was, or my experience was worse than yours, but Two people can both have a struggle. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't Absolutely. have to be compared. Right. So what would you say the biggest misconception about who should or shouldn't have suicidal thought? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, especially when you hear about celebrity deaths or, you know, suicides of straight A students mm-hmm. or, you know, people who we look at is, I'm doing air quotes right now, successful, quote unquote successful. You'll hear people say things like, I don't understand. They had everything to live for. They had everything right. going for them. And that can be really minimizing. Um, we don't always know what somebody's experiencing or going through. And sometimes we even have these ideas that only people who are extremely mentally ill can have thoughts of suicide. And that's not the case either. While we do know there, there's a big correlation, a lot of people who make suicide attempts, something like 90% do have some form of mental illness, it's not always serious, serious mental illness. And it's not always about, you know, there's there's so many things going on that a lot of times it's more about, well, things going on with uh, coping and problem solving and just feeling overwhelmed and like there's no other way out. And Absolutely. so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about people we have. And I can say the same thing about substance abuse. We have these ideas in our head about people who should be mentally ill or people who should have substance use issues. And, right. and that's just not true. Suicide and substance abuse and mental health, they can affect anybody of any religion, any race, any gender. It does not matter. Nobody is 100% suicide proof. Absolutely. Thank you for talking about that. Oh, I know there's been tons of, you know, people 
shocked at certain celebrities. I know Robin Williams was one that shocked me to death. Right, he always looked so happy, yeah. right? He put so much joy out into the world. Absolutely. And, and I think that a lot of times when someone is struggling or having thoughts of suicide, um, that's one of the things that we do know is people can put on these masks and can show the happiness and positivity to the world, and they don't always show their pain to everyone all the time. Um, most people do show some suffering or communicate that they're experiencing something, whether it's verbally or through their behaviors at some point in time. But, but I think we get really good at putting on those masks too. If people, if people aren't looking and paying attention to us, I think people slip through the cracks. I agree. I mean, there's so much going on with, uh, I mean, especially nowadays, everyone is attacking everybody. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of course we all have a bunch of armor and masks and things like that. So. Yeah. That brings up a second question for me. Is having suicidal thoughts a choice or is it a character flaw? Uh, I don't know that it's, I wouldn't say that it's either. And I think that if someone is having thoughts of suicide, in most situations, they're to a place where they feel like they have no other way out. For most cases, we're talking about someone who's in extreme pain, whether it's physical or psychological or emotional pain. And it doesn't feel like a choice when you feel like you have no other way out. It feels like this is the only solution to this insolvable problem. And I know that usually when we're on the outside, we don't see it that way. But when someone's suffering with either this much pain or sometimes it can be even just feeling this numb and this much like you just don't want to exist. Would you think that it was more, when we talk about choice, I think my biggest question is, do you think that it's something that they... You know, everybody says, "Oh, I, they're just like you said. They're they're being selfish. Right, selfish. They're, they're taking not the thinking. Easy way out, yeah, they're taking those the easy things. way out." No, I would not say that. That's the case at all. I mean, we know that a lot of people who have thoughts of suicide actually feel like they're a burden. Like everybody who is in their lives, they'd just be better off without them, and that they just bring people down. And so, thinking of suicide when you're feeling that way really feels like one of the least selfish things you can do. You know, you're yeah. you're making everyone's life better. And again, on the outside, we know that that's not true. We know that having these people, having people in our lives makes our lives better and it's enriching. And even when people don't see their own value, we see it. But the other thing that you hear about is when people say, you know, it's 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 weak. It's, it's this decision that someone makes um, when, when they're really weak. And we do know that, no, this is when someone is just suffering, just a lot of suffering going on. All right, can you just maybe share with our listeners about what stigma does to those dealing with suicidal thoughts and how stigmatizing language can play a positive or a negative part in their experience? One of the ways that stigma can really make an impact when it comes to suicide is when there is this societal stigma and this just discomfort around the topic, we tend to avoid it. We freeze when we're talking about topics that we're uncomfortable around. And when it comes to suicide freezing or not feeling like you can talk about it or take action can cause some harm. It can stop you from helping someone or getting help yourself. If people don't feel comfortable talking about suicide or if we feel like we're not strong enough or smart enough or educated enough to help in some way, we we can really miss opportunities to help someone and not helping someone, not reaching out, checking in, that can be, that can end up being fatal to someone. And the stigma, it goes so much further. When we're talking about suicide, there's even a lot of stigmatizing language that's out there. And one of the big things that I like to explain, and I've had this conversation with so many people, even people who work in this field, is uh, we don't like to talk about people committing suicide. When you think about committing something, what do you think about? Being in trouble. Yeah, you commit a sin, right? You commit a crime. Right. If we look at suicide and discuss suicide that way, 
it really can put a lot of shame around someone who's having these thoughts or who has made an attempt or family members of survivors. And we also, language like, oh, it was a failed suicide attempt. Surviving isn't a failure. Right. I, I don't like that language either. Or uh, saying that someone had a successful suicide attempt, and that's the way we describe that someone's died by suicide. In my mind, suicide will never be a success. So the, even the language around it is really stigmatized. Um, and so like, instead of saying committing suicide, it can be really hard even if you have this knowledge, it can be really hard to get into the habit of saying it because commit suicide is so ingrained in us. But, um, you know, it, it can be easier or better to say something like someone died by suicide. Someone ended their life or just, you know, someone made a suicide attempt if we're talking about someone who has survived a suicide attempt. And I think all those things are, are just important to understand and to know as we just try to grow as a society and get better and be more open to having these conversations. I think the language is an important topic to address. Okay. We, we, fought, we do that a lot. I mean, that's something we talk about. Yeah, it seems All like every time. episode is and something about the language. Absolutely. So we're hoping that these, these podcasts and people are hearing them and it's kind of like, Clicking. Oh, oh it's clicking. I know it's clicking. Um, I might have told you when we first started talking that, you know, your second episode was the very first episode of the podcast that I listened to. And then I was hooked after that. Um, <laughs> Thanks. There was even, again, being a, a mental health professional, I know I'm not actively working as a counselor through Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network, but that's what my background's in. And just hearing some of these things, it really reminded me to be aware and cognizant of just the language that I have and the language right. that I use. And I think we can all use that sometimes, just a reminder. So building off that, would you share with us some common myths about suicide and the actual facts that debunk those myths to help our listeners better understand this topic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, huge fan of the podcast. So some of these might be things that uh, Cicely, Cicely Alvis was on two podcasts ago, yeah. I yeah. believe. Yes. Um, and I know she talked about a lot of these same things, but if I talk about them, it's worth reiterating. And it's also worth going back and listening to Cicely's if you haven't already. Yeah. But Thanks um, for the Cicely plug. She, hey, yeah, she I, definitely was. She gave a lot of uh, factual information, and I think she did a great job covering it. But you've got a few. She's a powerhouse. I do have that a few. That she didn't cover. So uh, Okay. Well, yeah. let's, let's see and talk about some of those then, I guess. One of the first ones, and she may have covered this, but it's important, so I'll do it anyway, is this idea that sometimes we think that if we bring up the idea about suicide that we're going to put the idea in somebody's head or we're going to make them right. angry. And the research actually shows that that's not the case, that talking about suicide with someone who might be having suicidal thoughts is actually going to lower their anxiety and lower the chances that they are going to engage in some form of impulsive act. So it's definitely going to be something that I want to debunk right now is talking about suicide does not plant the idea in someone's head. It just doesn't happen. When we're talking about the idea of who we expect to have suicidal thoughts and who we don't, a lot of times we, we get this idea that, you know, even professionals like doctors, nurses, and behavioral health people, that these people shouldn't have thoughts of suicide or they should know better. And I really don't like that because that also feeds into that idea of suicide being a choice or a character flaw. And it causes a lot of shame in people in those categories and in those professions that keep them from addressing it or telling people they're struggling because they don't want to, like, look like, oh, I must be a bad doctor if I'm having these thoughts. Uh, and it really keeps people from recognizing the signs in themselves and in, from other, in, in other people if we don't believe that people in certain professions or people with certain levels of quote-unquote success can have these thoughts. Like um, you gave the example of Robin Williams and, you know, if, if he was showing some things, showing that he was struggling and people had the idea that, you know, oh, well, you know, that, that can't possibly be true. Someone like him couldn't have those thoughts. Think about the opportunity that's being missed there. So that's just just something else I really, I think, is important to understand is that it's not about your knowledge level around suicide. That's not going to 
magically keep you from struggling and having thoughts. So, and some other myths that I think are really important to cover. Um, sometimes we have this idea that only professionals can help someone who might be having thoughts of suicide. And I think that goes back to that stigma that's there and that fear that we have that if we're not comfortable talking about suicide, we're not going to bring it up and address it. And we're just going to hope that someone else does. And having those thoughts doesn't make you a bad person or doesn't mean anything negative about you. But I do want to encourage everyone out there, um, just understand that it's not just the professionals. We never know what a difference that we're going to be able to make in somebody's life. In most situations, if someone is struggling or having thoughts of suicide, it's going to be the person who sees them every day or who has some meaningful connection with them that notices that something's wrong. Like one of the warning signs we often talk about is any major change in behavior or just personality change. And if you see a therapist once a month or your doctor once every six months, your doctor may not be the one to pick up on that, but right. the people who are going to, it's going to be your coworkers or your teachers or your family members. So again, we just never know the impact we can have on someone. It goes back to that thing that, you know, even if we just smile at a stranger on the street, we never know if that could make someone feel more connected or like somebody cares or like they matter. So everyone plays a role in suicide prevention and everyone can make a difference. Another one that I think is really important to talk about, another myth that we hear a lot is that if people are talking about suicide, that they're just doing it for attention or that they're just doing it to be manipulative, that if someone's really thinking about suicide, they're not going to say anything. And that's another one I'd really like to clear up because while there may be situations where someone is considering suicide or planning to make a suicide attempt and they keep it 100% to themselves, in most situations, as I mentioned earlier, the people in their lives are going to be able to know that the person's suffering, that something's going on if you're really paying attention. And also this idea that people only talk about suicide to be manipulative. We know that when someone talks about suicide, in a lot of situations, there is a good chance that they are having thoughts of suicide or may make a suicide attempt. And it's something else I, I think about a lot when it comes to this topic as well, is that as human beings, we don't communicate anything or do anything for no reason. Like if we put something out there, the whole purpose is to get one of our needs met. Like, right. so think about a baby. Why does a baby cry? Hungry. Hungry, sure. Tired. Yeah, tired. Poopy diaper. Poopy diaper. These are good <laughs> ones. Um, and so theoretically, the baby's going to cry. And some adult in their life is going to hear the cry, know there's a problem, and meet the need. Right. That doesn't go away as we grow up. We may stop crying about our poopy diapers, but we have some need that we need. And so we communicate to get that need met. So if someone, even if someone isn't having thoughts of suicide, but they're talking about it, imagine what must be going on within this person that they have, that they feel like that's the only way to get their need met. Right. Wouldn't you say it's kind of better safe than sorry? Better like safe who than cares sorry. if you think they're being manipulative, manip manipulative, if I can talk, have that conversation anyway. Right. It's, it's, if they're not suicidal, okay, then you've cleared that up and maybe they might need some other form of help. They might have something else going on and you can figure out what that is and help them. And now they've had someone and listen. They've had someone listen. And if they are suicidal, how would you have felt if you had just ignored it? You know, the boy who cried wolf situation and just walked away. That That's a lot to have on your shoulders is knowing that someone told you they were struggling and you, you didn't respond. That can be a really heavy thing. I don't wish that on anyone. So you're saying facts... Talk about it. Talk about it. It's not going to scare people. Not it's gonna, certainly not going to put that in their head. Not going to put it in their head. Anybody can help prevent 
suicide by being there and being a listening ear. Yes, ma'am. And even if you think someone's trying to be manipulative, let's just not worry about that and have that conversation anyway because you don't want to risk. It's not worth it. Just this person needs something, and maybe we can help get them to the help they need. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for that. One thing I know is very important to you, because we talked about it, is focusing on connection versus disconnection in regard to suicide. So would you mind to please share your thoughts about this with our listeners? I'm really, really glad we're talking about this. So a lot of what we're talking about when we're talking about suicide and suicide prevention really does boil down to that simple issue, connection versus disconnection. And when we think about populations that we know are high risk for suicide or have high rates of suicide in them, a lot of times we're talking about populations that feel disconnected or feel disenfranchised, like our LGBTQ population or like our veteran population. We're talking about a population that had one way of life and had one identity and then is transitioning, you know, come come back home or come out of the military and you're having to transition to a different identity and you can feel really disconnected from your own identity. You can feel disconnected from people, from community. It kind of feels like you have one foot in one door and one foot in another. And so definitely when we're talking about high-risk populations, that issue comes up, connection versus disconnection. But a lot of times when we're talking about suicide as well, there's an ambiguity when someone's having thoughts of suicide. It's not necessarily that they want to be dead. It's that they have this feeling, this pain, and they just want the problem to go away or the pain to go away. And so they're not really connected to life either. And what we know is the more we can do to connect people to life, the protective factors that people have, they're almost all about connection. So having someone that you feel like supports you and cares about you, uh, feeling like you have purpose and direction in your life, these are these are protective factors of uh, feeling connected to your career path, feeling connected to your uh, faith-based organization or a higher power, feeling connected to family, to friends, to your book club. I don't care. Feeling connected to something is a protective factor or being connected to your community as far as services. People who have access to health care and mental health care are at lower risk of suicide than people who are not able to access these services. And that's Plug for Frontier Health, that's something you all do great, is try so hard to make sure that we're getting anyone who needs help to the help they need uh, through different programs and different grant funding. So absolutely, shout we out to y'all. A, well, <laughs> I would say shout out to all the awesome people in the field that absolutely. do the hard work to work every to single get everyone day. connected. Absolutely. absolutely. If, if I had to say one thing, just keep in mind, if you have someone in your life who you think is having thoughts of suicide connect with them. If you have someone in your life who's lost someone to suicide, y'all, connect with them. Just the more we can do to just be there for one another and talk and listen, the, the better we're doing, the better we can do to help each other out. And I can speak from a personal experience that a friend of mine lost a child a death by suicide. So and sorry. it's like, you know what? It took me forever just to say anything because I personally suffered from I don't know what to say. Yes, and again, that doesn't make you a bad person. No, it didn't, it's, but it's just, what do you, you know, right. just say, you know what I figured out? They didn't care. Just, they just wanted me to say something. Treat them like a human, show them that, treat them like a human, show them like you care makes a big difference. And uh, it, this is probably something that's been brought up on the podcast before because it, it's true of all mental health uh, issues, but also true of suicide is, you know, when someone has a heart attack, you bring a casserole dish over to the house right. and offer, can we take the kids off your hands so you can just have, you know, a night at home. But when we lose someone to suicide, it's like it's crickets. Yeah. It's and crickets. it's again, not that we're bad people, but it's, 
because there's that stigma and we don't talk about it that we don't know what to say. That's what we're trying to do here is give people permission to do the thing that they need to do in there. I mean, I don't know a lot of people don't experience something like this that don't have that first gut. I need to, I just want to give you a hug. You know, I just want to say, are you okay? Even though that sounds stupid, because of course you're not okay. But but it gives you a chance to talk about it. But I'm starting to talk about it. Right. So, I mean, I just want people to get out there and say, if you know someone that's dealing with this, go call them on the phone. You know, just just. Drop a line. Yeah, just, we're dealing with COVID right now, so I know it's not really, you know, we're not really able to get out and get in people's faces, but call them on the phone. Yes. The phones still work, you know. It still works to have a conversation Text over them. the you phone. Can send a good old-fashioned letter, whatever. Just right. do let this person know you care. And if you're struggling, I know it can be hard if you are someone who's struggling to have that energy to reach out sometimes and tell people. That's why it's so important that we check in with one another. But if you are struggling and, and you are able to do this, reach out. Talk to someone. Let someone know that you're hurting. Let someone know that you're going through something. And you'd be surprised at how people react. You would. It's in, it's it's insane to think for one second that talking to somebody is going to hurt them more than it's going to help. But you know, the very first time I did it, and I, I remember reaching out and sending them. I actually messaged them on Facebook, mm-hmm. which felt completely, <laughs> you know, just. They're impersonable, but sh- there's no wrong way to reach. They out. were like, "Oh my gosh, thank you!" And they said the same thing to everybody else that reached out to them. But for just that one-on-one, you know, reaction was like, "Thank you. You have no idea how helpful it is to know that you're not afraid to say, hey, are you okay?'" Right. That, right. That you're not just talking the talk of being a friend. You're walking the walk as well. Well, I mean, <laughs> it just it was weird. Yeah, <laughs> it was and, weird. But you know what? Sometimes we're going to need to do things that are maybe a little uncomfortable for us. But here's the thing. Anytime we do something that's uncomfortable and come out the other side, yep. okay. So I bet now you are probably one of the first people to jump in if you've got someone who's struggling. Absolutely. It wasn't about me. It was no. so. It was a great lesson for me to learn. It was not about me. Anxiety I was feeling about talking to them was needed to go away. Not that I, it's fine to feel it, but it wasn't about me. It was about them. So as soon as I put it on them, it was like, this is for them, not for me. It made it that much easier. So I would say for, for any kind of thing you're trying to talk about, make it about them, not you. It's a lot easier Absolutely. to address those things. Same thing with the listening process, too. If, if you know someone's struggling and it's so important to be there and be that listening ear for someone if they're having a hard time. You know, I talked earlier about that tornado in my friend's head and how me just being able to be there for him and allowing him to talk. Well, now that I'm in this field and I've read the research and I've seen clients and I know that there's more, it's not just my own experience. There's research and science behind it that allowing someone that space to talk for a lot of people having thoughts of suicide or um, who might be thinking about a suicide attempt, they may have never said these words out loud to someone. They may have never talked about it. And these things thrive in the darkness and in the secrecy. And sometimes just talking about it can take the power away from it or being able to talk through your problems can be really cathartic or, you know, something that seemed like the end of the world when it was just that storm in your head, when you say it out loud, it sometimes can seem a little less powerful. It settles the storm. Yes, it settles. Oh, that's beautiful. It settles the storm. So yeah, be there to listen. And when you listen, don't listen to respond. Listen to hear. Um, I think a lot of times we have that tendency when we're listening to people to listen in order to say something back to them. Oh my gosh, yes. And, I'm so guilty of that so many oh, times. Same, it's ridiculous. Same Right now, I just did it when you were talking. I was like, oh, I got to get ready to say something. But these are situations where we definitely want to take a step back and listen 
to actually connect. It goes back connection versus disconnection. Connect with this person. Let them know that we do care. And I mean, I'll, so let me ask you all, have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you knew they were really there with you in that conversation and listening and part of that conversation with you versus situations where you're talking to someone and you know they're distracted? What's the difference? Yes, and how it's that huge. It is it's a tingly experience. It's weird. I mean, it is. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, just to have that experience where you're not, you know, sitting at bated breath, ready to like right. say the next thing. You're actually like tuned in. And, you know, I've had that experience with, with um, my, fa- you know, family members where I'm talking to them about something that I'm dealing with and they're like looking me in the eye and they're, and they're doing that. And then they say something to me that's different than just the regular stuff. It's like they listened so intently that they thought about what I was saying so that their question was derived directly from my talk, from what I was saying and their connection with me as opposed to, yes. oh, I've got this new thing I want to talk about. And it makes you feel so heard. Yeah. And so now imagine knowing that a lot of times if someone's having thoughts of suicide, they feel very isolated and alone and like maybe disconnected or like people don't understand or people don't care or again, like they're a burden just understand how powerful it can be to offer that that connection to someone, offer that tingly feeling yeah. to let, you know. I think about it like someone said they felt like they were in a cave yes, in a dark place and they couldn't see any light. And that connection and that conversation is you wrote like kind of like, oh, guess what? You know, like moving this, you just moved a rock away and said, there's the out, there's the way out. Right. It's you, really small. I know you can't see it right now, but just follow my voice and come on out. Yes. You know? Right. There's, there is hope out there. If you felt like no one cares about you, this conversation alone can show someone that maybe every belief they have about no one caring might not be as accurate as they thought. I think I'm going to guarantee your last podcast, which I haven't had a chance to listen to yet. He probably talked about it, and I know Cicely talked about it. And I think how many just, times does everybody. it take for someone to hear something before it sinks in? <laughs> Plan seven. Like, yeah, seven. So we're well, okay. Hey, we're- then I'm fourth or fifth in, I guess. <laughs> um, but planting those seeds of hope—that's how it happens. Is when you have a conversation with someone, and you know, just showing them that hey, people do listen, people do care. I care. Things can get better. It's not always going to feel like the storm in your head. That's those seeds of hope. And yeah. all we need is if someone can just grasp onto that light, grasp onto that hope, it, it changes everything. Thank you for sharing that. That was really, that was, I really appreciated yeah. this conversation. Me too. Me too. Going back to your personal experience with your family member that attempted suicide, what resources are out there for someone that has survived an attempt and for their loved ones? There's tons of resources out there. Um, any mental health professional is a great resource to have in your book. So knowing to seek out a therapist or go see your doctor, talk to a professional about it is a great resource, not just for the person who's made an attempt, um, but also for the family member, the person who's there to support them. Um, there are tons of resources available. You can reach out to me at, or any of us at Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network at tspn.org, and we'd love to connect you with some of the resources that are out there. Um, and I'll, I'll put in a plug for NAMI as well. NAMI is a great resource for family members of people with serious mental illness or who struggle with some of these things to help that family member uh, to process through. And there's there's tons of resources as far as books and materials, websites out there. And we'll try to put some of that information in the uh, description in the podcast. Great. If you guys are looking for it, look there. One last thing. If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? Oh, good question. I think one of the things that I would have asked is what are some of the things that keep someone from asking for help? And there's a lot there. A lot of times people are afraid if they tell someone they're having thoughts of suicide or if they 
talk about what they're thinking, that they're going to be hospitalized immediately. And we, we know that that's not always the case. In fact, that's people are only hospitalized in certain situations when they're an immediate risk to themselves. Uh, having thoughts of suicide is a lot more common than people realize. And it is something that can be managed through just general care, like outpatient therapy, learning coping and problem solving skills. So just because you're having these thoughts does not mean you're going to be locked away or that anything horrible is going to happen to you. There's a lot more treatment and a lot more help available out there than just being hospitalized. Um, and, and I guess the only other thing that I probably would have uh, thought about asking was, what can we do to educate ourselves, whether you're just someone just a regular person or whether you're a clinician, um, there's tons of trainings out there uh, that are available. Again, reach out to me at tspn.org and we can talk about trainings to help you learn how to help someone who's having thoughts of suicide. And if you're a clinician, just know that there is plenty of material out there to help you become a better therapist to help someone with chronic suicidal ideation, things like CAMS or uh, learning a lot more about DBT or acceptance commitment therapy. There, there's resources out there. Thank you so much for that. So thank you for your time. Molly? Oh, my gosh. Thank you all for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. We're really delighted you came to visit with us and um, have this really important conversation for this important Awareness Month. Um, just for our listeners, thank you for joining us as, as well. And I keep saying this. We would love to hear from you all. So if you would please, please, please feel free to reach out, comment, and give us feedback. If you have some ideas about content you would like for us to have here on Impact Sigma, or you just have some direct questions, feel free to drop those in the comments and let us know because we can't wait to hear from you. Yeah. And tell us what kind of superpower you would have. Absolutely. That's one. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you, guys. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to impact stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.